Wednesday, the 17th of May, market call. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan. In just a few minutes, Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charting will be joining us. Dan, this market call brought to you by FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. Before we get started on a rip-roaring market day, uh, for no apparent reason that I can ascertain, I'm just going to walk you through a little Major League Baseball if you indulge me for a second. Uh, Tampa Bay Rays play in the American League East. Uh, obviously, the Yankees do as well. It would behoove the Yankees for Tampa Bay to lose as that would help the Yankees in the standings, assuming that the Yankees would win. Um, right now, the Rays have the best record in baseball. Oddly enough, Dan, last night I found myself rooting for the yeah. aforementioned Rays, as I will today and as I will tomorrow afternoon. And why is that, you say? Well, I know, because you have this disdain, this unusual disdain for the New York Metropolitans. That's correct. That's the ding, ding, ding as they ding. say. So last night I sat in glee as uh, Justin Verlander got knocked around, uh, got basically bounced in the fifth. Um, the Mets bats came alive a little too little too late, as they say, and they yep. find themselves three games under 500. I find myself perplexed by the market as yet again, Dan, we look up and the S&P is right around that 4130, 4140 level. Yeah, well, I, when we started putting the rundown together, Guy, uh, about an hour ago, it was 4130 and now it's 4140. That would be 10 fairly quick handles here or 4145 or so. It's interesting. You know, I, you know, I think that the way... Uh, you know, Speaker McCarthy, the way Schumer, the way, you know, they walked out of that meeting about the debt ceiling. I, I mean, it, it couldn't have been very it, it couldn't have been more different than the week before. And, and I don't mean there was nothing substantive there. I mean, they agreed to agree that they're not they don't want to default and, you know, that they're going to negotiate. I think that obviously has um, a little to do with it, especially when you consider the very tight range that the S&P has been trading in. But, you know, the flip side of all of that, you know, I was um, on a program last night, which was not CNBC, it was on MSNBC. And, you know, I was asked to kind of opine on, on, on what are some of the potential outcomes of this negotiation and should the Dems negotiate and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it's interesting, you know, a lot of people who don't look at this through the lens of the markets, they're really just focused on what does this mean for the economy? Is it the mm -hmm. likely thing that the, pushes us into a recession if these politicians who agree on so little, you know what I mean, most of the time, can't agree on this, which is a really important thing. What does that mean for my jobs, for my wages, for, you know, all that sort of stuff. And at the end of the day, you know, when you look at it through the lens of the market that we do through a market call or on the tape or on fast money or whatever, it's like, there's no cares in the world. You know, we, we've been talking about the flat line in the S and P. Now this brings me to the rates market. Okay. And so I saw this, this came out in Axios guy, you know, about an hour ago. The markets still don't believe the Fed. And this is interesting because is it that the Fed playbook would be if there was a default, right? If we were to have our debt downgraded, what would they do? They would lower interest rates. And so just look at this. This is the, the Fed watch tool by our friends at the CME here. This is the probabilities um, of cuts. What do you make of this? Because this is really the battleground, I think, for what the market's saying about the health of the economy and the risks to the economy if we don't have a, a debt ceiling um, raised in the not so distant future. Yeah, lots unravel there. We talked about it on Fast Money last night. It sounded like the tone coming out of those meetings, as you said, was much more conciliatory, I guess, in a word than it was a week or so ago. And the fact that Biden or the President Biden is uh, I guess the back half of his trip, he's canceling and coming back early. 
I think that's a good sign as well. And I think the market is taking its cues from that. In terms of the rates market, you know, again, I'm hard pressed to understand a scenario where at the back half of this year, which again, we're fast approaching, there's going to be a reason for the Fed to cut rates. Again, unemployment's 3.4%. There doesn't seem to be any hiccups out there, really. The market seems to be chugging along, at least flatlining over the last month and a half, two months. So you tell me what would cause them to lower rates. There's nothing that people will say, well, because inflation's coming down. Okay, I understand that. But guess what's happened? If they start to signal that they're going to lower rates, that inflation genie is going to be right back out of the bottle. So I don't think they're going to fall into that trap necessarily on the back of just inflation moving lower. So I guess the market's looking at one thing. I think the Fed is looking at something entirely different. And I think I am as well right now. Yeah, no, it's also interesting when you think about how the banks are reacting today, the large money center banks. I mean, Wells Fargo is up 5.5%, Bank America up nearly 4.5%, JP Morgan up 3%, Citigroup up nearly, you know, 4% or something like that. I mean, that is, th these are these are massive moves. Now, if we pull the XLF up here, okay, the ETF that tracks the banks, we know that, you know, Berkshire Hathaway is the largest component above 10%. Um, so that kind of skews things a little bit here. But this is not a great looking chart right here, even with these huge moves today. And I guess the, the, you know, the risk that you'd say is that, OK, if we did default, this would be bad, right? It would be bad. The, the government's borrowing costs go up. I mean, borrowing costs go up across the board. We know that economic uh, malaise would just kind of just kind of seep into every pocket of our um, you know, economy there. And that would be bad for the money centers. But I didn't think there was anything priced in to the money center banks. Did you guy like 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 into this? I mean, I think a lot of concern happened to be with what's going on with the regional banks. And we see the regional bank index, the KRE is up six and a half percent today. Um, but that has, like, you know, specific uh, ramifications from, you know, I think one of the regionals said something about deposits or something like that. So it looks like for today, the banking crisis is just paused. But you look at that KRE, that thing's a train wreck still. The bulls will say, I think that what has priced in the reason why the market has not rallied the way it should have is because of this debt ceiling overhang. And when that's sort of taken out of the equation, you're going to see the commensurate move to the upside. To a certain extent, you're seeing it now. I'm more in your camp that I don't think in any way, shape or form, a default was being priced into the market. Definitely wasn't being priced in vis-a-vis -vis the VIX. Yeah. I mean, I think that's clear. And I don't think it was being priced in necessarily in equities. Maybe in small caps to a certain extent, and maybe to a very small extent, the HYG, which traded below 74 for the first time in a while, but that's clutching for straws. So I don't think the downside was at all priced in, but I think the bulls will say, you're missing the point. The reason why we haven't rallied in a meaningful way is because of that concern. So you know, everybody looks at things through, you know, their own sort of lens and their own scope. And yeah. I understand both sides of the argument. I, I'll come back to once again, take the debt ceiling out of the way. That's fine. The Fed's done hiking rates. I agree with that. That's fine. It's still this lag effect that the economy is going to feel and then subsequently the market's going to feel as well. And then the debt problem out there that we just discussed on Market Call and we discussed on Fast Money, I believe, on Monday night, that's not going away anytime soon either. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's bring in a gentleman who can help us decode this. I love that. Isn't that wasn't that a podcast? It was. It was Kara Swisher's podcast, Decode. It was actually one of the first podcasts I ever listened to, Guy. I mean, I've told her that 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 was the inspiration for our little podcasting network. All right, let's bring him in. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. He is all knotted up. He's somewhere in Midtown Manhattan. He's got to be Midtown up there. Manhattan. I'm going to make a guess. 
Are you on 54th Street? Very close. But what okay, city? Fair enough. Oh. Oh, really? Oh, no, no, I love you. Come on, come on. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so here we are. A little bit of green today. Uh, people like yeah, green. Like they like it more than red. What? There's a lot of green today, Carter. There's a lot of green today. And 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 so just, you know, again, we, I, I think you're going to say that this S&P chart is a pair of what? I, I don't know. Some number, I, you know, a pair of. A pair of twos. All right, let's pull up the S and P 500 up here. These are these are our charts, not yours here. And so, what do you make of when we say to you that we didn't think much is priced in about the debt ceiling? We know we've been talking about the S and uh, P in just this race it's been in. We've been talking about a VIX here um, that doesn't show a whole heck of a lot of fear. Um, is it fair to say that if you're bullish, you could say, hey, guys, you're thinking about this wrong, that given everything that we've seen as far as Q1 earnings and the guidance and and and, and back half of this and Europe, Europe doing this and that, oh, man, the S&P would be 4,300 if you joker, you know, if we didn't have this debt ceiling thing. Help us, like, make some sense of, like, the whole idea of what's being priced in, because that's a very subjective sort of uh, evaluation. Sure, I think the, the, the human condition, we're all subject to this, is to seize on um, something to, uh, well, let's say, uh, justify a thought or an action even more. So, for instance, you if you pick up any uh, publication, uh, either in print or, or TV or any journals, they, you never some the market declined today. They always have to say the market declined because. It's not always a because. Now, one would say, no, Carter, it's up today because... You know, the Speaker of the House and Biden. But these are just day-to-day narratives. It has nothing to do, period, hard stop, with figuring out what are the prospects of the 500 companies in the S&P 500 and their prospective cash flow growth over the next nine months, 12 months, and what multiple we assign to it. And you can see, of course, that today, despite the strength, we're still stuck in this range. So this is now six weeks going on seven. It's the tightest range in five years. And it reflects the things that we know. There are a lot of people who believe this uh, is a great opportunity to ultimately get very big in the market. And there's an equally large cast of characters who say, look, we know that there are cycles, that there's a high probability of recession, that the credit quality is deteriorating in the financial institutions, and the consumer is not getting better but worse, unemployment and so forth, and that one does not want to be bullish. And these these two forces are, are they're even, Stephen. That's what a pair of twos is. No one has the ball. Uh, again, I, I, I do think that, that that the tightest range in multiple years is definitely um, pretty interesting. It's it's pretty clear it's going to break one way or the other. You know, the 200-day, you like to use the 150, Carter. It's down there at that um, uptrend, um, you know, that's been in place since the October lows. Um, you know, I, I, I guess you got to see if we get some sort of like, you know, kicking the can down the road, maybe it sends this debt ceiling debate to um, September 30th. Let's just see how much sort of gusto um, we kind of have to consider this. I mean, so the, the, the chart of the Russell 3000, which of course is now the whole market, right? It's the S&P 500 plus another uh, 2,500 stocks. If we look at the chart there, that was the S&P, we could just use that as a, as a proxy. So the, the lows of October, we are up from those lows. But did you know that more than half the stocks in the entire market are below their October lows? I mean, uh, when the median stock performance, the Russell 2000, is down since the lows of October. So uh, it is a function of a handful of, of super cap consumer uh, staples like Hershey and McDonald's, um, 
big uh, pharma like Lilly, and of course, certain big tech. But again, just to put this in context, while the total value of the market as measured by the S&P or the Russell uh, 3000 is up 10, 12% from the October low, more than half the stocks in the market are actually below the October low. And the median performance of all stocks in the Russell is negative since October. So we have a very bifurcated market. It's not about tech, it's just about certain stocks getting all of the money. And those stocks all, to my eye, are steep, uncorrected, vulnerable, which in fundamental parlance is expensive. All right, let's talk about this because you had a note, I think it was yesterday um, on uh, worthcharting.com. That's where you can find all of Carter's fine work here. And it was a ratio chart and it was the S&P is relative performance to the, um, the S&P 500 tech sector to the S&P 500. And it's pretty astounding when you think about how long it's taken, right, to get back to these sorts of levels. And, and really, um, you say 23 years, and I remember what happened 23 years ago where tech was becoming increasingly narrow as it relates to the performance of the broader indexes. So talk to us a little bit about sure. your work and what some of the takeaways are for our, uh, our so viewers here. When people refer to relative strength, there are two types. There's RSI. That's an oscillator. That indicates an overbought or oversold. I'm not talking about us there. There are hundreds of them. Bollinger Band, MACD, R squared, it goes on. The other relative strength is just what is known as a relative strength line. How is something, anything doing compared to something else? So a stock, it's a chemical stock compared to all chemical companies or a housing stock, relative performance to all housing stocks, or in this case, a, a, a sector, the tech sector, relative performance to the market. And so that's simply a ratio. You plot the line. And it's not about the level so much as it's the direction of the line. If the line is going up, it means that in this case, tech is outperforming the S&P. If the line is going down, it means it's underperforming. And the circles I've drawn, and this is important, we are just now back to the peak. Now you'll see that the, when tech was making a high in late December of 2021, that was the high for the market. Now tech is back to that high but the market's nowhere near that. But what's important about this is if you look at the next chart, this level, and talk about to the penny, we have just now recouped all of the relative losses in the tech sector to the market, which is to say that tech leading up when it's a parabolic move there is outperforming the market. You have the dot-com peak and bust, and then it plunges, and it's taken 23 years and two, now three months, to recoup all relative losses so that now this sector is even Steven with the S&P two decades later, which is to say that's an epic milestone, it's an important milestone, but it's also a shockingly depressive milestone because that dot-com peak drew in more market participants than at any time in the history of the market. And we know about the wealth destruction and the loss of life. There were suicides just as there were in 1929. It just shows you need to be good on your timing or not to chase when everyone else is chasing. Well, right now there's a chase in some individual names. And so just play it on the fly here, Carter, because I know you're capable of doing it. NVIDIA just printed $300, I think. If it didn't, it was damn close. And we're getting to levels we saw in November of 21. Yeah. which not coincidentally is when the Fed basically announced they're going to start raising rates. So if we can put up sort of a three or four year NVIDIA chart, 
Is this the same type of thing? Because there's clearly a chase now. Yeah, and people can tell. Listen, and I'll say it. I've been wrong on this for at yeah, least the last hundred dollars, give or take. Yeah. But with that said, sure. this stock is not getting any cheaper. I mean, yeah. the entire yeah. move has been multiple expansion. Yeah, for sure. Here, I want to read you something that just came in uh, yesterday. This is NVIDIA. Every 1% move in the stock is equal to more than any year of annualized free cash flow, excluding stock-based comp. Um, do you know that you're getting into the multiples that Meta was trading at? Mm, what happened to that one? Um, and that Netflix was trading at, meaning... We see this over and over. Now, you have people saying that AI is different this time, and then sure, it's disruptive. You've got you've got some of the great titans of all time embracing, um, but we don't know where they bought. A lot of the reports coming now from Q1 buying, maybe they're already at 40, 50% thinking about trimming. But the point is, um, you can be steep and uncorrected, as the dot-com bubble was. Stocks are loved until they're not. And when you are trading at multiples like this or reading a stat like that that I just uh, read off. Uh, it's from, for my money, it's buyer beware. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, you know, guy mentions multiple expansion. I mean, you know, this multiple is ever expanding 66 times earnings this year, 50 times next, and then 25 times sales, 20 times next. I just don't know how you grow into that valuation. And, and you could make the argument, you could say this, okay, you could say, well, in November 2021, the last time or, you know, late 2021, it was trading at $300. You know, there really was no like fantastic bull case like there is now this tremendous demand for advanced AI chips, you know, it was crypto mining, it was gaming, it was data center, it was a lot of things that we kind of knew about. And I think to your point, Carter, we spent some time talking about it yesterday, a market call, you know, when you see headlines like Tepper and Druckenmiller all in, and these are 13 Fs and they're looking back, you know, to last quarter and they're reported 45 days after the fact and all that sort of stuff, they could have been in and out of them. You know, I made the point that I remember in the late 90s when Druckenmiller at the Soros Fund was short tech, right, and got destroyed, then turned the trade and went much longer than he was short and then got drilled that way too. So the best and the brightest get these huge platform shifts wrong. They get the sentiment wrong, this and that, whatever. Now we all said, we've been wrong about this one. This stock has defied you know, any sort of logic, you know, and I got increasingly bearish on this thing when, when the government or when our, when the Biden administration started talking about advanced chip bans to China, you remember that thing? It feel, feels like it was like years ago. It was just a few months ago. And I think that's likely to be a headwind um, again, which leads me to Taiwan Semiconductor. Carter, talk to us about this. It's raging. It's up 6% today. Okay. And I think it's really interesting. Last night, David Faber emailed or excuse me, uh, interviewed Elon Musk on CNBC. And Musk was asked about geopolitical situation with China and the potential for them to do something with Taiwan. And he was very, very clear. He said, why would you not take them at their word? They think uh, Taiwan is part of China. And so we can all extrapolate what that could mean. I don't, it doesn't mean anything that it came from Elon other than the fact that he's got factories there. He depends on their consumers for a large part of their growth, all that sort of thing. But he name checked Apple. He specifically said, well, they're going to have a bigger problem if that happens than I will. So talk to me about Taiwan Semi because Taiwan Semi is a huge supplier to Apple, to all these sorts of guys. When you see a move like this on a day like today that doesn't make any sense, it bounced off that moving average, it bounced off that uptrend. What does this chart look like to you? Is this thing bottomed? Well, the key is where it has come to life. So if you have an established downtrend that we see, and then you have a recovery, 
that we see from the November low. And then you get a check back, meaning some give back, some dip sell-off correction, which um, just that corrects that steep recovery move. Coming to life on a trend line or a moving average, an automated trend line is very important. I, I, I like the pattern. It, it's a bearish to bullish reversal buy from my seat. Certainly is. Um, I'll say this, though. I think what people are looking at, and this is just my opinion, they can reconcile, they can wrap their head around Taiwan semi on valuation. They're looking at NVIDIA, and to a certain extent, they're looking at a move in AMD, which is also pretty expensive, not nearly as much as NVIDIA, and say, well, wait a second. If those stocks are going to do well, um, what the, what's the catch-up trade going to be? And they can wrap their head around Taiwan semi on valuation. I think the same thing may start happening with Intel, and Qualcomm's probably a name that sold off enough as well. With that said, you know, I don't think they're necessarily out of the woods because if you look at what Taiwan Semi said last quarter, you know, they basically back in the fall, they said the back half of 2023 was where they're going to catch up. And then this last quarter, they said, you know, maybe we didn't have the visibility we thought we had. I'm paraphrasing. And the stock actually had that, that had that sell off commensurate to that. I don't know. I mean, I just think this is people trying to find names that are cheap on valuation and hoping the stocks get a bounce. That's just my view here, Dan. Yeah, no. And that's, you know, they they are piling into this one today. And it just seems I bring up the, the comment about China with Elon because it, it is something that, you know, the back and forth. I mean, you saw that there was like some sort of commentary from that we might have a preemptive strike on Taiwan. I mean, it was like the ridiculousness that, you know, that you read that last week, right? If, if one of the main reasons why the Chinese want Taiwan back in the fold is because they want their manufacturing capability, but specifically as it relates to global semis and stuff. I, I don't know. There's a lot of weirdness going on. I can't figure it out. Warren Buffett, you know, bought it, sold it, but he loves Apple. Elon name checks Apple, says they got bigger problem if, if China invades Taiwan. Makes no sense to me. Last one, Carter, before we let you go. Talk to us about Tesla. I think we'd all been, we all were bearish. You know, it got above 200. We thought it would come in, um, disappoint on the fundamentals. Guy and I had that right. You had the technical setup right. I think we were all kind of eyeing that January earnings gap. It did almost fill it in. It got to kind of the gap point from January. Talk to us about what you're seeing here. Has, has this thing done what it needed to do on a technical basis, which causes you to be less bearish? On the name. Yeah, meaning it, it, it achieved, meaning after the incredible rally, the double, um, it basically, you can check off the box that it went back to where it got re-rated higher, that gap associated with earnings. And now uh, it doesn't make it a buy, but, uh, you know, the, the, the objective of trying to short a stock that doubles uh, ricochet, that opportunity has come and gone. And so now we're getting into the pair of twos category. There's nothing about this that screams out, you've got to get long or short. And then that's the other thing. Why not uh, do some, you know, sell some, uh, sell a straddle, uh, strangle, whatever. I would bet against volatility. I mean, I myself would sell the 200 calls. I'm sure there's premium in that. And I'd sell the 140 puts and sit tight. Obviously, if you want to do it as a condor to protect yourself. But I mean, what about this is going to make Tesla take off and print 210, 220? And, uh, you know, back down to 130, 140, it's probably getting cheap. However, one wants to measure the word cheap. There's a scenario where, you know, we look for volatility in names like Tesla, but to Carter's point, I mean, this actually could be setting up where we find ourselves in this sort of 155, 185 range for the foreseeable future. And we're probably here at 173, smack in the middle of exactly that. So this stock can go sideways for the foreseeable future because 
What's the real catalyst out there at this point? You know, the Tepper headline I thought was going to get people excited. I thought the Twitter headline was going to get people excited. And the stock has bounced a little bit, but not all that much. So this is one where vol might be too expensive in this environment, given, you know, their lack of catalysts moving forward over the next few months, Dan. That's right. It's a very volatile stock that's now due for a period of less volatility. Yeah. I I mean, I'm actually, I've gotten increasingly bearish on the fundamentals, believe it or not, even, you know, after that guide um, that they gave us. And, 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 you know, I followed some folks who are tracking, um, you know, the backlog versus the orders, and it doesn't seem to get better. And I think they're pricing, you know, going back and forth. And David Faber asked Elon a bit about that. And he talked about all this data that he has real time. Um, but this is not like, you know, solving towards, you know, making, um, you know, like wristwatches or anything like that. I mean, this is like, you know, a, a pretty uh, a global sort of operation that relies on, you know, uh, batteries, which, yeah, are, it's a bit easier than making, you know, um, you know, in, in you know, ice uh, automobiles. But to me, I don't know, this one seems to be um, increasingly complicated. The fundamentals don't seem to have turned. Um, so I am staying short this thing. All right. Carter Braxtonworth, thank you for um, popping out of your meetings. And, and taking the time with us here on Market Call. You guys know where to find him on the Twitter and also at worthcharting.com. Thanks, Carter. We'll see you next week, bud. All right, Guy, let's- Love Carter. Uh, no emojis oh. with hearts. No, ch- you know, just charts. Yeah, just, just, ch- just, just charts. Let's, um, let's hit a couple things here because there's, I think Cisco is really interesting. They report tonight um, after the close. The implied move in the options market is about 5%. You know, this stock is kind of at a weird spot on the chart. Uh, it just got back above its 200-day moving average. It's kind of, you know, right around this breakdown level from spring of 2022. And it's interesting, you know, if you look at the move down that it had um, last month, remember we were, we were tracking a little bit. There was this um, disappointing uh, results out of CDWC. I think there was a couple other reports that were like, you know, you could really extrapolate over there um, to Cisco given just, they're just geographic makeup. Um, I think also, you know, th- these guys are very exposed, not just to you know, telco, but to governments, to um, enterprises, that sort of thing. So this one's a tough one here, guy. I mean, like everything that I've heard as far as tech earnings doesn't lead me to believe that this is a name that, um, you know, I want to be piling into in front of the report, but it's also a fairly cheap stock here. And when you have low expectations, the stock is down in sympathy with some other names and you have a cheap valuation, you know, the potential for a, an upside surprise is is not bad. And, and I'll take you to um, Target. You know, Target expectations weren't high. The results weren't great. The guidance wasn't good. Um, but the stock's up today. You know what I mean? So I'm just curious. Yeah. And, and and there's that chart. This is a kind of a weirdo chart, um, too, in a way. So thoughts on Cisco. And, and I think that you and I have been fairly consistent throughout earnings season. We haven't seen a need to be a hero in, in front of too many earnings reports, that what we learned from them has been just as useful about setting up some positioning after the fact. Cisco, I think last I looked, is about a two hundred billion dollar company, so it's not insignificant. And uh, you know, I think it's just important to sort of put that out there, given the size of the company. One. With that said, stock's trading forty seven and a half. It was a forty seven and a half dollar stock in the fall of two thousand and eighteen. Now, yes, it moved up fifty five, traded down to thirty five. You've had that sort of move a couple times, but here we are again. Setup to me, given the environment that we find ourselves in, is probably pretty good, quite frankly. It's You can make a case on valuation. You talked about the technicals. Um, and I think it probably sets up to surprise some people, especially if they're going to start to chase less expensive names. So 
I get it here, but it's just a trade. I think if this stock were to get back into the low 50s, you sell it and you start the whole thing over again. In terms of Target real quick, I just think the market is rewarding them because they finally figured out their inventory situation. But it's not like this stock is off to the races. The one that I found the most interesting, and we addressed it yesterday here, and then we talked about it on Fast Money last night, Home Depot, I actually thought traded relatively well yesterday. And we talked about it on Fast Money last evening. It should have been down a lot more. It wasn't. And the fact that it didn't even challenge that 275 level, if you put a Home Depot chart up, I thought that was encouraging. Now we find this stock, I think, north of 290 today. So that's the environment that we find ourselves in in terms of these stocks. Home Depot wasn't great, but I guess it was good enough. They're being rewarded for it. And that's sort of the way these stocks have traded. But there's going to come a point, I think, when um, people realize, that, you know, wait a second, not good is still not good. Yeah. All right. Last one before we get out of here. Um, Walmart reports tomorrow before the opening. The implied move in the options market is about three and a half percent. And, you know, this is an interesting one. And Carter put out, a, I think, a sell on this a few weeks ago when the stock was nearing that kind of resistance level mm -hmm. there. And, you know, you know. You see that there, okay? It broke that uptrend. That that uptrend was really steep. The, the stock was rallying with a lot of consumer staples, right? Um, over the kind of last couple months, especially it started kind of in that March period during that regional banking crisis. So it was a bit of a flight to quality here. The stock is expensive. You will say that again and again, trading about 24 times. It trades at kind of like a consumer staple sort of multiple here. And given what you heard from Target, what we heard some some of these other, from Home Depot, I think there was some interesting stuff that you can extrapolate to a Walmart, a Walmart shopper also. What, what's, your, what's your sense here, Guy? Because this would take a significant beat and raise to get back above that uptrend and then that resistance. And I just don't really see it in this environment, especially with the sensitivity towards valuations and this one being a lot more expensive to many of its retail peers. Yeah, listen, we we talked about the potential for it to get back to the levels we saw in the fall of 22. It did. Um, Carter talked about this. It seemingly failed there. So right now, to me, the trade sets up you're looking for a move back to the moving average, a 200-day moving average, probably comes in around 142 and sloping higher, and then you reevaluate. Um, on the upside, I don't think you get the long the stock unless you get a close sort of above that 157.5, 158 level. But I'm inclined to think in this environment, when it, with Walmart, it comes down to margins. And you know, there's no... Listen, freight costs have come down. Yes, I get it. Maybe that's working on their behalf, but... Other costs have moved up. I think margins are going to be sort of challenged, which me, to me at least, means you take a look at 142 on the downside, Dan. Yeah, and I'll just say this, just from purely a sentiment standpoint, how this stock reacts to those earnings and really, more importantly, the guidance and what they have to say about the consumer. And I think that, you know, we've seen this kind of this notion that the higher end consumer has been trading down, right? And, and, and that, to me, is going to be really instructive, especially given some of the data that you were citing earlier in the week on Market Call about consumer savings, consumer credit, all that sort of stuff. So um, I'm going to be waiting for this one. I am not positioned um, in front of it. All right, Guy Adami, that that's it, my man. Take us out. Well, as I said on my tweet earlier, um, in terms of the NHL playoffs, I find myself rooting for the Florida Panthers um, as we're down to the final four now. Panthers, Carolina, Vegas playing. It's amazing. I tell Dallas Stars seemingly out of nowhere find themselves in this thing. The NHL can't be thrilled with those combatants, but that is what it is. Uh, Yankee baseball tonight in Toronto. That series has gotten really testy very quickly. It'll be interesting yeah. to see what happens in game three of this thing. 
I thought the Lakers played well last night, Dan. I think you will agree. But I tell you what, man, uh, the, the Denver is for real. Yeah. I mean, Joker's no joke. Yeah, I mean, but he it was, looks I, like I mean, he should be playing with people like me. Celtics but, Lakers would be an I mean, I mean, that's the matchup everybody wants to see. But then Miami Denver would be pretty epic too, if you think about it from just a basketball series. So. I'm with you, guy. Dami. I'm All a right, big let's... Jimmy Butler fan. I lo- I just He's love man. everything about his game. But that, I don't, you don't want to talk about this. No. But that's it for today. Now, I want folks in the comments section who have just been ridiculing me left and right, which I dig, by the way. Uh, tomorrow is Thursday, which means um, what hashtag are we going to populate in the comments section, please, everyone? That oh. would be, of course, hashtag Butters. We'll also be joined by Elizabeth Young. That's EY of SoFi. It's going to be a big day tomorrow. Without question, more earnings to dissect. But that's it for today's market call. I want to thank Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting, FactSet, Financial Data and Analytics, powered by Tomorrow. They're also our data provider. I've enjoyed this time with you, the man in black. Great job last night on MSNBC at 11 p.m. I'm with Claire McCaskill. Man, you were playing in the big leagues last night. Big leagues. That was fun. It's and you know it is fun sometimes just to speak to a kind of different audience than we speak to because everybody they are locked and loaded guy. When we're talking here, we're talking on our pods, our fast money. They're ready to kind of call our shit out. But you know that uh, that other audience, every once in a while, we get to sound smart. You know what I mean? Well, that's rare for me. Um, we'll see you later. <laughs>